We're back. Just like I said, we'd be back. This is For the Glory KC, where we bring a mix of in-depth Kansas City soccer knowledge with the more casual perspective. I'm Chad Smith, one of your co-hosts and the editor at TheBlueTestament.com, who will take you a bit more in-depth. And I'm joined, as always, by my wife, the human suplex machine, Sheena Smith, who has that more casual perspective. Hey, Sheena. Hey, Chad. What is that nickname? Is it another, oh gosh, I can't think of his name, Chris Jericho? It is not a Chris Jericho nickname. It's uh, oh. Renick, It's Taz. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Taz. It was both the name of one of my childhood cats and uh, a wrestler. Hook's dad. You know Hook. Oh, yeah. The guy with the cool hair. Yeah, there you go. His Doesn't dad. Doesn't talk. That's the one. All right. Oh, my gosh. I hate that I know all that. <laughs> all right, y'all. On today's show, uh, we're going to be bringing you observations from Sporting Kansas City's opening season loss wah, wah, to the Portland Timbers. Uh, lots of injury updates, which kind of factored into that loss a little bit. We've got a new set. Center back rumor. Ooh, Peter Vermees signs a contract extension. We have some thoughts on Apple MLS season pass. And we're going to preview the Colorado Rapids game before we get into the digital crawl, y'all. But Sheena, anything you want to start the podcast off with today? I just wanted to make a correction from last week's podcast. Okay. I made a huge editing mistake that I want to apologize to you for, Chad. So last week, if you listened, we received our first email. Actually, I think it was our it's second not our email. First. Yeah, we've yeah, got some emails. From Rich. So hey there, Rich. Hope you're doing well. But when I was editing the podcast last week, Chad was really struggling to say Rich's last name. And I decided to take it out because his last name wasn't important. And I was trying to protect. Wow. Protect. Wow, Rich. <laughs> she no. says your name is not important. Nobody his cares. His last name. No, I was trying to protect his identity. My gosh. Mm-hmm. You totally matter, Rich. But anyways, <laughs> in the process, I took out the part where Chad was stumbling over Rich's last name. But I forgot to take out the very beginning where Chad said something like, I'm probably going to say this name right or wrong. And then, Chad, you're like, the name's Rich, but then you never hear the last name and where he's struggling. So uh, I really butchered that. So I am really sorry about that, Chad. I promise you know how to pronounce the name Rich. Yeah, you would hope so. (laughs) All things considered. (laughs) All right. Well, I I accept your apology. And I did listen and I was like, oh, this is so bizarre. Is it weird, y'all, that we listen to our own podcast? We're trying to get better. You're trying to hear where we make mistakes, what we could be better at. I always tell my coworkers at work, I do a job where we teach people and we're like on camera and we're talking a lot. And I'm like, record yourself, watch yourself and then watch it back so you can see the things you do wrong. It's sometimes cringy, but at the same time, I think it makes you better. It's a definitely cringy. And I've learned to accept the sound of my voice. I really struggled to hear myself, but I've gotten over my voice. And honestly, that air, I probably laughed for like a good two minutes at how ridiculous it sounded. So I love you, Chad. Thanks for putting up with me and thanks for putting up with me all right well what's funny too one last thought on this recording and the re-listening is sheena does all the editing as you just heard and then she listens to it again when when it's out and then she has final thoughts what i find funny is sometimes we talk about a topic and she doesn't remember it and she listened to each episode like three times with live editing and then after it's all done so that always makes me super amused but let's get to sporting kansas city had their season opener actually delayed a couple of days so a little bit of crazy Crazy snow in the Pacific Northwest caused the game to be bumped till Monday night. Monday night football, I saw a lot of people calling it, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, but Portland, unfortunately, defeated Sporting Kansas City by a score of one to nothing. Defensive laps by everybody's favorite, one of your top three favorite left backs on Sporting Kansas City, at least. Benjamin Sweat uh, gave the ball away on the end line. I thought it was interesting after the game that uh, Daniel Sperry from the Star asked Peter Vermees about, you know, should he have just played it out of bounds? Should he have cleared it? And he goes, yeah, any of those things. <laughs> like, he just, like, agreed with it. So, Gina, you know, what were your uh, initial reactions on the game? What were your thoughts? So... There was quite the buildup to the game just because it got delayed a couple days. It's crazy to me that in 90 minutes of soccer, that fans went from feeling good to saying our season was doomed by the end of the game. So y'all need to calm down a moment. We just need to play slightly better than we played last year, and we'll get into the playoffs. So there is some hope for us. We just got to play slightly better than last year, and we'll we'll make it to the playoffs. So 
Overall, though, I thought the game was ugly. Maybe we could blame it on the weather or the field. Like, what were the black specks that were all over Roger Espinoza? Yeah, during the game, Sheena's like, Roger has some sort of like skin thing going on. And I was like, what? And then the next time I saw Roger, he just had those like rubber pellets that are in a turf field, like stuck to his skin, probably from one of the times he was knocked down or fouled or whatever. And he just didn't wipe it off of himself. And Sheena's like, yeah, I think he's like a skin thing. Not not so much, just those rubber pellets from a turf field. Anyways, but the game felt kind of chaotic to me at times. But overall, I thought the team played okay. We started slow and it shows since that's where we gave up our goal. And I don't entirely blame John Pulse camp because like you said, Ben Sweat put him in that situation. And I think the unfortunate thing is Pulse Camp had just saved two remarkable goals. So it's unfortunate that a few minutes later, he couldn't save a third. But we did go into the season saying our defense was going to be weak and Portland exposed it right away, unfortunately. However, we had discussed last week that Sporting has a good offense and we should be able to make up for our defense's issues, but that unfortunately never materialized. And I think the unfortunate thing, I feel like I keep saying unfortunate, so I need to like... We'll get you a thesaurus. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was at least five chances, five solid chances that we counted that the offense could have scored, but I was going to break this down into things I thought were positive in and then negative. So can you define what's the difference between eh and negative? And negative is it didn't go good. And eh is just like it wasn't good or bad. Okay, kind of a neutral thing. Yeah, right. kind of a neutral. Well, let, let me jump in here on those first 10 minutes. And then we can get into your positive eh and negative here. <laughs> so I, I think the first 10 was pretty brutal. Uh, like you referenced, Robert Balder had a atrocious giveaway inside his own box bas- back pass towards his own goalie that was intercepted and Pulse Camp came up like gangbusters and made those double save there. Uh, could be up for save of the week. It's kind of wild that he kept those out of the net and like you said, it's a little unfortunate that the goal he did give up because it wasn't like it was an amazing shot. He was put in a bad situation, but it was really close to him and just kind of snuck under him. I think based on how good he had just stopped those other stops that he'd be a little bit disappointed in how it went. But in just a broad strokes from me here, after that first 10 minutes of where we were terrible, uh, Sporting really settled in. And I thought that they got a lot better. Obviously not good enough. Obviously they got to put away their chances. But at the same time, it they really limited what Portland was able to do after that. I definitely agree with all that. So let's get started on the positive of the game. So um, I have a couple and we'll see if you came up with similar things. So the positive for me is outside of the goal. I thought John Polskamp played outstanding. He showed up and last week on the podcast, I said that whoever the goalie is would be the difference maker for the defense. And Portland could have had another like three to four goals if it weren't for Polskamp saving as many as he did. I honestly think it's going to be hard to justify having Tamilia start if Pulse Camp continues playing like he did. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. Besides the goal that he gave up, which again, he was put into a bad spot by the Ben Sweat turnover there on the end line. And Ben Sweat just obviously, he got kind of shoved, kind of nudged, but it was... I think a clean play, it's shoulder to shoulder, you're allowed to do that, and he's got to be strong there, or just play it out of bounds, you know, get your defense set. So yeah, he left him hanging, but Pulse Camp, yeah, really good for most of the game. Um, he had been, I think, kind of bad with his feet in previous seasons, and I thought he was decent. He played a few balls out of bounds that he probably could have done a little better with, but on the whole, I think he was pretty good. Yeah, I think Melia's going to have quite a battle to get that job back. Speaking of Tim Melia, just really quick, I'll sneak this in here, it feels relevant. People were like, hey, why isn't Melia even in the game day roster? Because Kendall McIntosh was sitting on the bench as the backup. And Peter Vermees kind of addressed it after the game, talking about how Melia had missed three weeks of preseason and he didn't get in the reps that everybody else got. And that's potentially why. I'm intrigued to see who will get the job. He stopped short of saying it's Melia's job when he's back. It kind of sounds like it's an open competition, as it should be. Yeah, it should be. But right now, I think Melia has more to prove to get his job back. Okay, so n- next positive is I, if you guys were following on Twitter last night, I was live tweeting from our For the Glory KC Twitter. One thing I kept bringing up was Remy Voltaire. And what can I say about him? He's so good with the ball. He's impressive. And I think sporting fans are really going to rally behind him and root for his success this year. I feel like he went kind of under the radar last season. 
but he's a hustler and he was all over the field. And to me, he was the man of the match. I'm a hustler, baby. I just want you to know. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Remy is my man of the match as well. He was everywhere. He was, again, playing out of position, playing defensive midfielder because of some shuffling that was going on. Nemanja Radoya. I don't know how you say this guy's name. Max Breto said it several different ways. I'm going to stick with Radoya until I hear somebody tell me that it's wrong. It might be Radia, but who knows? Anyways, he couldn't play and Remy had to fill in. And once again, admirably did pretty darn well at that spot. There's an argument that maybe he kept the goal scorer on on the uh, play that got in for Portland. But even if he was or wasn't keeping him on, Ben Sweat was absolutely keeping him on after losing the ball. So no fault for Remy for me. I have to say, Sheena, when you said you were running the For the Glory KC Twitter account and that you had something you commented on throughout the game, I definitely thought you were about to talk about hairdos because there were several tweets about hair. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I do pay a lot of attention to the players hair that is an important aspect and I think that just shows how casual of a fan I can be at times but let's move on to I have two more positives I'll go through them quickly Zussi I thought he looked good he had some great passes and I think he was really hustling I thought Caden Pierre might come on at some point but I'm not mad that Peter Vermees kept Zussi on all night I thought thought he played well And I don't think it's a good long-term strategy to have him play all the games, but I'm okay with him being on the field. Do you think he played good last night? I thought he was kind of mediocre. He had some really good balls, and then he had several balls that just went to nowhere. We had several were like, Zeus, as he like skied his crosses over the goal. Maybe it was the weather. It was raining like crazy. It was probably windy. I couldn't really get a gauge for it. The wind did seem to, or the rain did seem to be moving kind of sideways. But it made sense to me that Zeusy was in that game because Portland was playing so compact defensively. Pierre kind of runs at teams and breaks them down from being like be kind of dribbling through them. And I don't know that he'd have been able to dribble through them. So sending balls in like Susie was doing made sense. It just didn't ultimately lead to any incredibly dangerous chances. He got a few balls into close areas. There was that one where he he lobbed it in, Agata headed it back, and Shallowy kind of did this volley poke at it. He just didn't get enough on it. And Bingham was able to kind of easily handle it. So I would say he'd be more in my eh column. Okay, that's fair. Okay, my last one is Felipe Hernandez. He came on the field and he was feisty and I was there for it. I I love him. I think we said that last week. He's one of our, I call them a family fave, but he's definitely one that we both really enjoy. So I I like that he came on and he was, I, I thought he made an impact, maybe not as much of an impact as we would have liked, but he was feisty and I liked it. Was there any other like positives for you that I didn't touch on? You know, I didn't plan out a positive eh, and negative strategy like you did, despite you warning me a little bit ago, that was your plan. I would say Eric Tommy was a positive for me in the first half. Uh, I will let y'all know from talking to Peter after the game, they did say part of the reason that he subbed off was because he's maybe not quite ready to go 90 minutes. Remember, he missed several preseason games as well. So uh, he was replaced by Marino Janis, who usually plays out wide, but played in the middle there, just you know, needing bodies to come on. You're missing some of your midfielders, still no Gandhi Kinda probably for a bit. But he had two of the better chances, maybe the two best chances of the entire game. I forget, maybe Shelton crossed the ball into him on that shot that he blasted off the keeper and then he had that delicate great looking chip that David Bingham had to poke over the bar for a corner kick in the first half so Tommy gonna be good and wearing the captain's armband which I think says something about Russell's out and you let Tommy be the captain he's a leader in the locker room let's move on to your either eh or negatives Sheena yeah so I had Eric Tommy too but I took him out at the last minute but Anyways, if for me, I have Kyrie Shelton on the list. He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad either. I think he's better as a winger than a striker. And he also won a header at one point, which is rare for him. And it really shouldn't be considering how tall he is. Uh, he, I think the issue we were having with him throughout the game is that he kept the ball for too long at times. And it's an ongoing issue we have with him every season. So he was eh for me. Yeah, I would agree. Eh, feels about right. <laughs> Poor Kyrie. I was defending him a bit on the Blue Testament and people are just like coming at me hard. And I think what it is, is the bar for me is so low for Kyrie that when he's not atrocious, I'm like, you know, guys, he wasn't bad. He was pretty decent. Um, <laughs> I saw a meme. I don't know if it was fake or real where Giovanni Savarese, the coach of Portland was saying, we're just going to give Portland the ball and we'll take it away from him. I'm pretty sure it was fake, but <laughs> it was like, they were just like, let 
let Kyrie have the ball and guard Agata and Shallowy so that they can't get the ball, which I mean, legitimately could have been a strategy because Kyrie, he looks to pass first, which is okay. Like I want you to be a good team player. And sometimes that works, but at times he passed to guys that were in worse spots than him. He had space and he wouldn't run into it. And like you said, the ball kind of gets caught under his feet sometimes. I thought his first touch though was really good last night. He pulled a lot of balls out of the air that I was like, oh, that would have bounced off of him and gone 10 yards away. I like how I said pulled balls out of the air and Sheena cringed at that line. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I, I didn't it, remember that. I didn't remember. It wasn't cringing at your line. It was just me like, eh, I don't remember that play. Okay, fair enough. And so I think I think he had a decent chance on goal. People were kind of hating on his chance because he didn't get much power on it. But I was looking at it. He was in a crowd of players. It wasn't like he had a, a chance to really wind up and blast it. And frankly, when Kyrie does score, they're like weird. I just I miss hit it or it bounced off me funny or I just ran into the ball and it went to the net. So that's the kind of play he could potentially score on. Eh, eh, eh. Feels about right for Kyrie. My last uh was the defense. We started shaky as that goal indicated, but once they settled in, they weren't awful. And if we're talking about the bar being really low for somebody, it's definitely the defense for me. They overall exceeded any expectation I had. I think that's probably fair because we kind of had really low expectations for the defense, so they weren't atrocious. They only gave up one goal. Last year, Robert Volader started in that game where they gave up seven goals in Portland. So hey, it could have been at least six goals worse. Uh, I, I kind of agree with you. The first 10 minutes, it is a disaster. After that, though, settled in. Bolliter, I thought, played fine. He made some mistakes still, but he's 21 years old, y'all. That's going to happen. I thought Fontes was very steady. He had a couple plays where he tried to make some line-splitting passes and they got picked off, but he didn't leave his team in a terrible spot. One time, I remember him specifically overstepping an attacker and the player got in behind him, but Bolliter shut it down. What's funny is online, the messages were everywhere. They were like, oh, Zussi was great but these other three were terrible and there's somebody be like alfonso's was awesome but the other three were awful it's like nobody could agree on who was good and who was bad Eh, moving on negatives yeah Negative. Okay. So the negative for me, I thought the offense struggled at times. And we can't pretend that Shallowy and Agata are the backups because they started last season and they're starting caliber this season. And I just feel like they didn't play up to the expectations I had for them. And I have a question I, real quick. You yeah. said who, who's who's pretending that they're the backups? I don't know. People were annoyed with them based on what I saw on on Twitter. I Maybe nobody's pretending. They, okay, yeah, but I think those are the starters. Like those two plus Russell yeah. should be your presumed forward starters until Alan Polito is healthy and then maybe he breaks in and takes a spot. Honestly, either of those spots. I think he can play left wing and he obviously was the center forward on this team for well, less than half the games. He could have possibly been the center <laughs> forward because he's always hurt. Okay, anyways, okay. continue your thought. Well, okay, sorry. So maybe I just assumed that. But at one point, I think several points, actually, I forgot that Daniel Shallowy was in the game. He didn't really start doing anything until the last like 20 or so minutes of the game. And this isn't a dig at Kyrie by any means, but he's not Johnny effing Russell. And we needed Johnny effing Russell last night. What do you think? Do you th- Was the offense a negative for you? Yeah, I think Agata couldn't get the ball. Nobody could get it to him. I was looking at the passing chart on MLSsoccer.com. The lines that went to Agata, the lines, they get thicker the more passes go to them. They're very thin as in nobody's getting him the ball. He wasn't getting a lot of service. I thought he was putting himself in the right spots, but he just seemed a little off for his first game back. I'll agree with you, Shallowy. I think you and I said it to each other middle of the game, like, oh, I haven't heard his name in a while. He kind of disappeared. And I think that's how Daniel kind of is. He's always capable of getting a goal. And if he gets himself in the right spot, it just looked like, you know, preseason rust. They just didn't look quite ready and if you look back at the preseason games they kind of banged up a little bit and that'll be my main negative is all the injuries but what other negatives do you have i have one more and this i feel like is what like typical sporting kansas city fans will say i don't get behind the like our season is doomed we're a repeat of the last few years but I do feel like last night was typical sporting Kansas City having opportunities to score and not doing it. And it wasn't like 20 something chances like we've seen in previous seasons. But when you're down, you need to score. And when there's opportunities, you need to capitalize on it. And 
we didn't do that. So that was a negative for me. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. And what's funny is people say this all the time. Oh, sporting, they create the chances, but they don't finish them. I think that's most teams in soccer. Like there are some teams that are just like legitimately not getting shots off. They're not creating chances. But yeah, that, that's what mostly teams struggle with. The finishing is hard. Like soccer, it's hard to score goals. That's why there's so many low scoring games. But I agree. They have to do better. I said Tommy probably had the best chance of the night. And that was more like just the magic of his chances. Agata probably really had the best chance. That header in like the 91st minute or so uh, coming in off the corner kick just headed it wide. I think if he puts it on target on the inside of that post instead of the outside, it, it goes in. I don't think that the keeper is going to get there. But everything else felt kind of like a half chance. Typical stuff, right? The last pass wasn't there. The, the shot doesn't quite come off. It gets blocked. Stuff like that. So let's switch gears. Let's talk about these injuries real quick, and then we'll wrap up our thoughts on the game itself. So as you heard, we didn't have Johnny F. and Russell, according to Sheena. Uh, he is out. He picked up a hamstring injury. That's news since the last time we talked to you all on the podcast. Peter Ramiz said he's, quote, likely out a couple weeks. So I don't know that we'll be seeing him against Colorado this weekend. Alan Polito, as you all know, had knee surgery last season. He did not play in this game. Vermees made a reference to he would never play him on, quote, that turf, which I thought was interesting. I just don't understand. And I, I'm obviously not a horticulturist or whatever the word would be for people that grow grass. How they can't grow grass in Portland, where there's plenty of water and you should be able to set up a drainage system where the water moves through the field. We grow uh, grass here in the winter in Kansas City with heat lamps and things. You'd think they could figure something out there, but all those teams up there play on turf. Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, it's garbage. Anyway, so Polito not back. He said, unlikely to see him against Colorado, but maybe the home opener against the LA Galaxy. Uh, Galaxy didn't get to play this weekend, by the way. Their game was canceled. Weird weather on the West Coast. El Trafico moved to July 4th. I already mentioned Radoya and Milia didn't play. They were both basically out because they hadn't got enough reps in preseason, but neither of them were on the injury report, which I think is odd. To me, you'd be at least questionable if you're unlikely to play, but maybe Peter's playing games with that injury report. I don't know. My final thoughts on the game, though, before we can kind of move on from this and I'll let Sheena you jump in with yours too but I would say take a deep breath calm down I'd count at least three guys who were starters in my mind that weren't out there between Russell Rodoya and Tim Leibold who did come on as a sub and didn't really get much done but you know, just maybe couldn't get in a rhythm. Portland was playing pretty compact defensively. There was a two-day delay. That messes with things. Sporting hadn't been home in a while. They were in Arizona and then flew straight to Portland, ironically, trying to avoid bad weather <laughs> and then got into the storm of the century in Portland. Uh, then also the game itself was just a weathery mess. Like it was raining so hard. The turf is garbage. Supposedly it was new turf full of all these rubber pellets and stuff. So those are all my excuses that I'm going to make for sporting. Obviously, they got to do better. Obviously, we expect more from them this season. I think they're going to be capable, but this is the kind of game I think you probably lose in any season, even when you're having a good year, going on the road, playing at Portland, not the easiest thing place to get stuff done. I am known to be a bit of an optimist. Uh, I, somebody quote tweeted something I wrote to them last year in like April saying, I'm not panicked, but I'm a little uneasy. And clearly I was a little late to how bad sporting were last year. I just kept thinking they were going to turn it around because historically that's what they do. Let's give it some time though. It has only been one game and it was on the road. I agree. It was the first game and we have that game under our belt. So we'll just have to wait and see how it goes against the Colorado Rapids this weekend. Yep, I'm pre-making excuses for this Rapids game, too. Uh, it's a short week. We didn't get as much rest as everybody else. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Let's move on. So let's talk about Sporting Kansas City rumors. If you've been listening to For the Glory KC, as long as this podcast has existed, this is a center back podcast. We talk about how Sporting needs center backs. And guess what? There is another rumor. Daniel Alejandro Rosero, or Danny Rosero. Uh, he's a Colombian. He plays for the club juniors. Um, there is a rumor re-reported by tons of sources, uh, including a bunch of guys I can't think of their names right now, and Tom Bogert, the MLS insider. Uh, he is saying that it's a one... I'm sorry, this was a from Tom. The original reporting is a $1 million fee to obtain 50% of Rosero's rights. Um, Tom, I think, is the third or fourth source to confirm it. So this is happening. He's 29 years old. He has a ton of experience. He's played hundreds of games uh, in these other leagues in Colombia and I'm thinking in Argentina, I believe, off the top of my head here. So Sheena, Rosero, what reading and digging have you done? I know you're big into researching players and I probably watched a lot of game tape probably by now. You know, I didn't because I 
I did try to research him on the social medias and I could not find him. I found people with his name. But the did, social medias? <laughs> yeah, I looked through all of them. The Instagram, Facebook, all of them. Twitter, <laughs> all of them. And I could not. You sound sneaky old when you're saying I, the social medias. Like, is that how people describe it? I don't know, but I do. So that's fine. I can I can I interject it. about social? Can I interject about social media? So, sure. um, Ark. Our Instagram account follows him, by the way. So you could just go on our Instagram and find him. Um, but another reason we know he's coming, he followed Sporting Kansas City and he followed Patrick Mahomes. It's happening, people. Oh, okay. Well, I couldn't find him. I did not realize we followed him. So that's fun. I'll have to go back and look. I spent a lot of time looking at a different Instagram account with the same name. And I was very confused because there was soccer pictures. But then the picture on Google and the pictures I was seeing on Instagram Instagram, I was like, these can't be the same guy. But anyway, so I didn't find a lot about him um, on social media. And the only real thought I had is I saw a tweet saying that he was going off of his current team because of some off the field concerns the team had. So I was curious what that all meant. And maybe we'll figure that out in time. Yeah, I couldn't find anything either. I didn't see I couldn't find any stories about him like being in trouble with the law or anything like that, which obviously that'd be a red flag. And I would hope sporting would have done their their due diligence on that if that was the case. So maybe it's just like a perceived locker room or attitude issue, you know, some sort of that sort of thing. But I couldn't find anything to prove it and sporting as we've talked about on this podcast before great culture and i think you come in and you you find a way to get built into that culture and you know players like roger espinoza help with the language barrier when you guys have guys coming from these south american countries so hopefully uh won't be an issue in kansas city because it sounds like he's the guy what a little i did find on him ironically i found his instagram account from reddit so shout out to reddit for that i put that in my story sheena you keep telling me you're going to be on reddit more sheena used to read the kansas city (laughs) Reddit page before we lived in Kansas City like every day and then since we've moved back here Uh, for like the last two years she never looks at it so I I think it's so funny I need to get back into it. I love Reddit, but I forget about it. I have all these other social media platforms I need to keep up on now. So it's yeah, lots to handle. Well, what research I was able to do, it sounds like he's a a bigger guy, 6'1", like 195 pounds, seems kind of athletic, quick, good in the air, a lot of traits that we need. Uh, And he's right footed. I know we make way too big of a deal out of both guys being left footed, but Robert Volader, man, he was left footed in that game. And Fontas is often just as guilty about overusing his left foot as are a lot of right-footed players but at times he could have got himself into a bit of a pinch by using the wrong foot there so i think he's gonna have a chance to come in and play and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out once he gets here because it's happening people it's happening not unofficially but it's happening okay i also learned he likes long walks on the beach and he's a sagittarius because you were giving his stats like it's a dating profile i was like what did you just find that on his instagram I'm so confused. No, okay, that failed. <laughs> no, no, I get it. That's a good joke. It's a good joke. I just was confused and your camera has crapped out, so I can't see you to tell if you're taking making a joke. All right, let's move on from the center back rumor. Other big news in Sporting KC soccer is Peter Vermees signed a contract extension through 2028. So his contract was set to expire at the end of the 2023 season. Ironically, he missed the playoffs last year and he got this big five-year extension. A lot of news came out out in the release, Sam McDowell of the Kansas City Star had the initial story and he got to interview him while he was down in Scottsdale. Peter apparently turned down an interview with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, it wasn't clear to me if it was for coach or for general manager. I know they're trying to hire a GM before they hire a coach, so that could be it. Peter is the longest tenured coach in MLS history. Uh, according to a tweet by Kurt Austin, who works in PR for Sporting KC and just all around statistically knowledgeable dude, uh, what they could find was that he was the seventh longest active coach in the world. Woof. All right. What do you think about Vermees getting an extension there? I'm not mad about the extension. We previously have discussed that he's a consistent coach. And I I think that if he had gone in whatever position he was potentially going to interview for the U.S. men's national team, um, he wouldn't have the freedom he has with sporting. So I'm not super surprised by this. And I think the stat that's craziest to me is that he's the longest active or seventh longest active coach in the world. Yeah, it's kind of wild because football is 
everywhere. It's in all the countries, pretty much. Everybody has football, soccer teams, whatever you want to call it. And to be seventh in the world is something. Some of the coaches were wild how long they'd been at their teams, though, too. And they were like clubs I'd never heard of. So it's probably like a situation where they're just steady and stable. And there's something to that. Speaking of steady and stable, Peter's more than that to me. I think people are kind of down on him and people wanted him to either give up his role as the technical or the I'm sorry, his title is the sporting director or his manager job, his head coaching job. And I just never felt like that was a thing. If you have the power, you don't give the power back. Now, hopefully he's surrounding himself with smart people and taking honest insights. And I think he's adapted and changed. And there's people who are like, oh, we're we're the same terrible team we were since we lost or since we last won MLS Cup in 2013. We haven't gotten any better. We haven't evolved. You're not paying attention if you see that. Sporting plays wildly different soccer. They were high press and foul like crazy. Now they try to play pretty soccer. They don't really foul very much. Some soft fouls called against them at times. But on the most, for the most part, I don't, I don't really see them playing that way. I think he's really started to build out the organization in a way that he's got the scouting department working so much better. Obviously, the jury's out on these new, new players because none of them started, which was kind of interesting. But think of the signings over the last few years and how they've been really good. Agata and Tommy last summer, we beat that to death. Before that, you're looking back at like Remy Voltaire, really good signing. He's been fantastic. Nicholas is a little hit or miss, right? He's in and out in two years, but I think he's hit more than he's missed, especially with the the bigger, higher price guys. Uh, the argument, I guess, would be is he's gotten some guys with some injury problems, which is a reoccurring theme. And I don't know if that's the guys he's getting that they're always injured. If the system or the way they practice is getting them injured, I don't know. It seems like it feels like a lot of freak injuries, but if there's too many freak injuries at some point, is it is it on you? On the whole, though, I'm okay with Vermees being the coach. I think if you move on from Peter, there would be some really hard, really tough, sad years. And there's no guarantee whoever replaced him or whoever replaced them would be better. And I think Peter's going to give this team a chance to compete. This would sound a lot better if they had just won the game over the weekend with Portland because people are just already off the bandwagon one match into a 34 match season. Yeah, I agree. If they had won, it would be maybe a different conversation. But, you know, he has a lot to prove this season, so hopefully he can prove that this extension is something that was worth it and the fans can get behind it more. Yeah, I will say kind of a closing thought on this is that last year it would have been easy for him to lose the locker room, right? The team was so bad and it felt like that's not what happened. This team played so good down the stretch and a lot of teams would have just quit because their season was basically over. They needed to be perfect down the stretch and they were just a tick off perfect and, and, you know, missed the playoffs slightly. Uh, that same performance would have been only three points shy of a playoff spot. And you got to think they play a little different those last couple of games, even the last game against Dallas, if that win gets them into the playoffs. I didn't do the tiebreaker math to see if it would have done the job, but they would have had enough points technically based on the finishing position. All right. So let's move on from Peter. I know some of you are, you know, vomiting emojis. I saw a lot of vomit emojis on Instagram when the, the Vermees thing was announced. I'm fine with it. If he's terrible, though, I don't think he should be um, unfireable. So if he has another bad year, there's you got to think about moving on. But I don't know if they'd uh, pay him all that money just to leave. Who knows how much money he's making? I don't know what coaches make. You know what I did see? And I'm sure you saw this, Sheena, as a slight aside. They released the U.S. soccer salaries, what people were paid from U.S. soccer. And Greg Berhalter made just short of $1.7 as the coach of the men's national team last year. And people were kind of upset because you had to go kind of far down the list to find Vlatko Andonovsky, the women's coach. He's, let me count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, counting on a podcast. He's the seventh highest paid person at U.S. soccer behind the CEO, the CCO, the CFO, Ernie Stewart, who is the the general manager, I believe was his title. So down a little bit, but I don't know. I'm not, uh, it didn't seem like an unreasonable salary for a high profile job like that. That position seemed to be. So I don't know. Well, what if Vermees makes that much? Okay, last topic before we move on to next week's game is we just completed week one of Apple MLS Season Pass. So we thought we'd kind of give our opening thoughts on how Season Pass worked. So first off, the video quality, unlike this stream that you all can't see right now that's incredibly blurry between Sheena and I, was amazing. Amazing, to quote our friends over at Happy Endings. Love that show. Um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Well, I'm very predictable so <laughs> at least for you in our 18 years anyways 
Video quality looked great. I thought some of the commentary teams did quite well. The thing I was most excited about was, one, I haven't had access to a pre- and post-game show from any of these uh, outlets over the years because the way I've been watching the games, I don't know if I just, because I was watching the stream online or something, I didn't have a full proper, at least a pre-game. I think I had a post-game. The pre-game show was not great. Um, I'm willing to give them a chance to kind of figure that out. I only watched the pre-game show for the sporting match and Andrew Wiebe was on there, who's a, a Kansas native. You know, just down the road from us. Anyways, we be uh, it, it wasn't the most exciting. Hopefully they'll get that worked out. But the other thing I was really, really excited for was the MLS wraparound show. And it was not at all what I was expecting. And I hope that it changes because it was kind of a downer at times. They're just showing the, these four hosts talking to each other. And I'm like, show me the soccer matches. I could see like matches behind them. Sometimes I was looking at their backs and trying to look through them to watch games. I can flip over to any of these matches. I thought it was going to be the NFL red zone where it was just like a host going, all right, let's jump over to the game in Kansas City and let's jump over to the game in Philadelphia, you know, whatever's going on and just moving from game to game. Sometimes they were talking over it awkwardly. I'm willing to give them a bit of a pass in terms of, hey, it's the first week, they're figuring things out. It was easy to access the games. They looked beautiful. I think they'll work those other kinks out. And if not, commercials during my wraparound show, not going to make me happy. Yeah, we have similar thoughts about this. I don't understand why we were getting commercials when we already had to shell out a bunch of money for um, MLS Apple deal. So to me, commercials felt unfair. But wasn't this a free preview weekend? Maybe that's why there was commercials. It was, but at the same time, I almost feel like if it's not going to be commercials when you pay, like don't show it on the free weekend because then it's like, wait, I'm going to have to pay money to watch commercials. Like that's the perception I took away from the weekend. And I thought that was a a big flaw. Uh, I I thought it was said really well by the guys over uh, Sam Stagecoll Paltiner, they're talking about this on the athletic soccer show or the allocation disorder this week. And they said the red zone is great because the NFL has tons of commercials in real life. And when a commercial comes on, they just switch games versus soccer has no commercials and suddenly they're going to commercial all the time. And it was it just felt backwards. It just it's not what I am used to as a soccer fan. I'm not supposed to have commercials until halftime. That's the only time it's acceptable. And ideally, there'll be different amounts of stoppage time on each game, and you can drag me through the stoppage time of these other games and not show me commercials at halftime either or let the pundits talk at halftime i don't know yeah that's a good point i thought the wraparound show like you should be set up similar to the nfl red zone and they should do something similar to that to me that makes sense i thought there were too many commentators and if it was like a halftime show totally fine with four and i think Taylor, what was his name? Tillman? Taylor Tillman did show up Tillman? and had five people for a yeah. while. But that was just because he was supposed to be calling yeah. the game in LA. I, yeah, I totally get that. And that's fine. I like him. But yeah, they they were just kind of disorganized. It was kind of awkward the way they were standing, where they were at times looking at the big screen, but we couldn't see what they were seeing because they were in the way. And then suddenly they were all sitting and I was okay with that because then I could see at least the game better. So the other thing that really bothered me, and I kept saying it, is that like the thickness of the bottom scroll was unnecessarily large, and it took away from being able to see the game. And I felt like we didn't get to see enough of any of the games because they were talking and the commercials. So I think that a lot of people felt the same way that we do, and I hope that they're reading online as tough as it probably is, because in my head, they put a lot of time and energy to make this um, uh, a good experience. And the quality, especially compared to Fox, was superb. So there's no question about that. And poor Stu Holden, he looked like he was in like a college dorm room or something. I don't know, but I felt bad for him. But- yeah, I shared I shared this tweet with Sheena and it's like <laughs> Stu Holden and John Strong calling the game on FS1 and they they look like they're in front of like a, a wrinkly tarp or something yeah. with the DoorDash logo on it who must have sponsored that segment. <laughs> and then MLS is in this beautiful studio, which actually I thought it was almost kind of weird. Like they're just trying to show their studio off because the four 
wraparound hosts, MLS 360 hosts, I should be, that's what they're calling it. They just kept moving. Oh, they're at the desk. Oh, now they're standing in front of a different screen. Oh, now they're sitting in some chairs. It's like they're just trying to show off this whole studio. Show me the soccer. Like I could get into watching, you know, three hours, four hours straight of soccer and just having it on. We just had it on in the background while we were doing other things because I'm not attached to any of these other MLS teams. Sheena was watching with me, which I can count on one hand how many games Sheena has watched that were not sporting Kansas City over the last few years. And honestly, it might be zero. That's how many I could count because she doesn't watch unless it's sporting. But she was interested enough because of what was happening. She's like, yeah, turn it on in the background. And I want it to be something that's pulling me in. And yes, hopefully they improve it or I just won't keep watching the MLS 360 show. I'm going to give them some time though. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we used to watch when we were really into football, we would spend our Sundays just watching the red zone for all day. So it easily could be the same situation if they work out these kinks. But if it remains the way it is, like, no, thank you. You, I might watch it in the background if I'm doing something, but I might be also annoyed after a while and I wouldn't continue watching it. And I will say I don't watch a lot of games that aren't sporting, sometimes not even the playoff games. So the fact it captivated me, there's a real potential there, but they need to change some things. Yep, it, it feels only fair if we're willing to not say the sky is falling for sporting Kansas City after one week that we don't say the sky is falling for MLS season pass. Lots of potential. I don't have to go searching all over the place to find it. I know all the games are going to be in one spot. Yes, it's annoying for some people that don't really want to pay for it, but 40% of the games are not going to be behind the paywall. On that note, though, the next two Sporting Kansas City games are behind the paywall. So if you want to watch the Colorado Rapids and you want to watch them play the LA Galaxy and you're not going to the stadium because that's the home opener, you're going to have to pay for season pass to get in there. So season ticket holders get it for free. T-Mobile users get it for free until like a couple weeks into March. So Go take advantage of that, T-Mobile users, T-Mobile Tuesdays. There's like an app you can go use. You know about it if you have T-Mobile, I'm sure. But let's switch gears. Let's talk about that game that's not free to watch. This next game is going to be the Colorado Rapids. Sporting Kansas City heads over to Commerce City to take on the Rapids at 8.30 on Saturday night, 8.30 Central Time. Uh, the Rapids had an atrocious season opener, losing 4 to nothing on the road against Seattle. It was on Sunday, so while Sporting played on Monday, the Rapids only get one extra day of rest so it's not a two-day advantage there Uh, i had some kind of opening kind of preview thoughts of the colorado game but did you want to jump in or should i just get to it sheena i just want to start by having one saying one thing because i see your notes and you are missing something really important about this game on sunday which is that there's no diego rubio he's out with surgery he had like a minor Read my notes a little better because he's in there Uh, my goodness dang it (laughs) well diego rubio is not going to be in the game and i love diego rubio so i'm a little sad but also not sad because he consistently scores against us so i just want to wish him a speedy recovery i thought i found something you didn't have so i'm kind of bummed yep read bullet point three rubio also had knee surgery and will miss a few weeks so yes he's out uh the also is because he's next to jack price who missed this last game who is a very good player in the colorado rapids midfield but uh Speaking of that Rapids game against Seattle, uh, they played in a high press, which is, you know, a style where you're kind of far up the field, you're keeping your center backs further up the field. And that's kind of unusual for them. They're somewhat conservative team, particularly on the road, it seems like. Uh, So perhaps maybe a new identity for them. But Robin Frazier, after the game, he's the coach. He took responsibility for keeping that high line throughout the game, even though they were getting torn apart. He said every ball over the top was creating a panic situation and yet he didn't change his plans. So let's look at to the past to look to the future. Uh, the Colorado Rapids, while they lost four to nothing, they were 10, two and five, 10 wins, two losses, five draws at home in 2022, even though they were terrible and missed the playoffs, but they were one 11 and five on the road last year. So they are a terrible road team. They continued that with their four Oh loss to Seattle, but they're really good at home. There is something about playing at elevation playing, you know, teams seem to get tired there. Something about it. Sporting, since we don't have much road record to look at this year, they're 0 and 1. Uh, they were 2 10 and 5. Ooh, 10 losses on the road in 2022. And all time, when they go to the Colorado Rapids, they are 5 19 and 12, just five wins, but 12 draws on the road. How does that make you feel going into Saturday, Sheena? 
it kind of changes my perspective a little bit from my initial thoughts. So I'll just give you my initial thoughts. So some of my information came from the SB Nation page, Burgundy Wave, which is way better than Stumptown Footy in terms of pronouncing, pr- pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, so Pr- pronunciation, <laughs> Pron- pronunciation. Let's just let's keep going. Do you think it may be okay. a Sheena problem and less of a, uh, the names of their website problems? <laughs> it's definitely me. Uh, so, anyways, one of the articles I read on that website to get caught up to speed with the rapids um, was written by a guy, Joseph Samuelson. And I thought he did a great job evaluating each player's performance from the Seattle Sounders game. I could feel the frustration in his article with the stats he produced on each player. So like you said, they didn't play good. They're coming off a 4-0 loss against Seattle. And I think this is going to be a really big game for both Sporting and Colorado Rapids since they both have lost. But I feel like the Rapids have more to prove coming off a horrendous loss. And they might have a good chance again, like at home. I want to go through some of these players real quick on the Colorado Rapids that I did research from or on. So to start with, we have Alex. I'm probably going to butcher all these names, by the way, but Alex Gerbash. He's the left. You don't know either. I have okay. no clue. He's a, he's an okay. Australian left back. He's brand new. I don't know much about him. I heard he had a yeah. terrible game though. He had a really bad game. Um, and like you said, he's new to the team. So it could be promising that he has another bad game. I'm assuming he arrived or it sounded like he's a good player, but he just arrived a preseason late. So I'm imagining he's still trying to learn the system and get a vibe with all the other players. But hopefully he brings that same level of awfulness to the game against sporting. Then we have Keegan Rosenberry. He's the right back on the team. He also didn't play great. And according to our friends at the Burgundy Wave, he lost possession of the ball 11 times, which is not good at all. So let's hope he loses possession another 11. I'll take 12 times even. They, I saw that too. And uh, they said it's the worst game he's ever played in the Colorado Rapids uniform. Actually, my only observations, because I went through and kind of watched some of the highlights and tried to look back, were mostly about how the fullbacks were just being torn apart. So Alex Gersbach or however, Gersbach, who knows, <laughs> however you say that guy's name. Um, but the only thing is, it was Jordan Morris running at, we'll just call him Alex. And it would be, things don't change, it'd be Kyrie Shelton running at him. Now, Shelton's good at running into space and kind of being fast and strong but that doesn't instill me with a ton of confidence because like we talked about earlier he just kind of tends to lose the ball and overthink it and make poor passes but on the left side that's where daniel shallowy is that's where eric tommy is playing in the left midfield spot whoever's playing left back ben sweat for all the crap i gave him in defense actually looked pretty decent on offense he just uh, his defense and hopefully if it's tim Leibold, he'll start to find a rhythm with those guys as well but that's really all i had what did you have about the rest of the rapids team sounds like you did more scouting than me yeah So I think this is going to be interesting because it seems like our defenses are pretty similar. It seems like their defense might be a little worse, but there is a player, Andreas Masso. He's the center back and he sounds like he's the Fontes of their defense with the most experience on the Colorado Rapids. I don't know about these other guys, but he was kind of the most- He's a new player to the team, but he might be more experienced in in terms of- like, I don't know what his like resume is coming in. The The guy that he was paired with, Lalas Abubakar, that's the guy that's been on the Rapids for a few seasons. They've been kind of looking to replace Austin Trusty, uh, who they sold last summer to Arsenal, which is another team owned by the Rapids owner, by the way. And hmm. they, that Maxos, or however you say that guy's name, is supposed to be the replacement, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, it sounded like he played okay. He probably played similar to Fontes. And then the last player I wanted to highlight was Ralph Prizo, their midfielder. Um, He came from the Toronto FC Academy, and he also struggled against the Sounders. So if all of these players struggle again, there's some hope for sporting. But like we've said, they are coming off a loss, and this team is looking for redemption. And I think the Colorado Rapids could be very physical in this game. 
And they may play aggressive, especially being at home, and they don't want to lose their fan base so quickly in the season. So they can't afford to take another loss. So my verdict, well, originally when I wrote my verdict, I thought there was a chance Johnny Russell might be coming back, but it sounds like that's not a possibility. But I still think we have a chance to win. If the second half of the team shows up from last night, I think we could win it. If we have a shaky first half defense, I think it could be a tie. And I'm also curious to see if Tim Leibold will start. I think if there's a game where I'd like to see him get some more time in, this would be a good game. Maybe not based on your reaction. What do you? What are your thoughts? Who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I definitely would like to see more Leibold. It, it didn't have a great first game, but he also only got limited minutes. And he, he's still figuring out the rhythm of his teammates. The record, and I always feel like Going to Colorado and going to Real Salt Lake, playing at elevation, sporting struggles pretty mightily. And it's it's kind of depressing. Uh, we used to live in Arizona and we had friends that were RSL fans. And I just never wanted to go to their house and watch the game with them if it was in Salt Lake. Because I I felt like sporting would lose and they would lose most of them. And it was kind of depressing. I would say a draw would be acceptable. Obviously, anything can happen on any week. And they're capable of winning. I think they obviously played better than the Rapids played. Rapids gave poor goals. It's terrible. Uh, the only other kind of scouting observation I noticed is that the offense for Colorado looked pretty shaky. They have a ton of wingers, and that's usually an Achilles heel for sporting. You run into that space behind our that our fullbacks vacate when they're getting forward up the field. So you never know. They might be able to take advantage of that better than they did against Seattle. Seattle plays a back three. Sporting play a back four, but it's two when you get your fullbacks kind of up the field. So it could be, it could be anything. I hate making predictions. I'm going to predict a 1-1. One, one draw one one draw is going to be my prediction digital crawl y'all let's do the crawl so a lot of news we're going to go through this rapidly uh <laughs> i didn't mean to make a colorado rapids pun right after we got out of the rapids <laughs> oh that was fake uh <laughs> the kansas city current were in action twice since we've last been on the podcast their preseason got underway they played their first game at the Orlando Pride Stadium lost two to nothing. Hmm, sand. But they played their second preseason game in uh, at IMG Academy in Florida. Uh, they have wrapped up their Florida leg. That was against the Chicago Red Stars, tied one to one. CC Kaiser had the team's first goal. I have no clue what lineup the current are in. I'm still pondering. But I counted four to five forwards on the starting lineup in the game against Chicago. I'm guessing Kaiser was playing in the midfield, but I'm not certain. They showed a clip of the goal. Honestly, it looks like number one or number two overall, but our first round draft pick, Michelle Cooper, passes it. The ball is stolen, and then Kaiser steals it back and shoots really quickly and scores. So it's kind of at a weird angle, probably filmed on a cell phone. So we'll hopefully we'll get some more highlights from the team. I think they sent some out. We'll have to check those out. Other KC current news, they signed their other first round draft pick, Alex Spanstra. She has signed a first uh, a contract for two years with the current. So she'll be around at least the next two years, hopefully much, much longer. And she's just returned from playing with the U.S. Youth National Team, the U23s over in France. Other kind of sad Casey current news, two other draft picks, Makia Minnis and Ashley Orcus. I apologize, ladies. Uh, they were drafted and their rights have been waived. So they will not be making the team. Orcus being released, she was one of two goalkeepers drafted. So that probably clears the way for Jordan Silkowitz, another draft pick, to be the third goalkeeper on the team. Uh, moving Still with women's soccer, the U.S. women's national team won the She Believes Cup. Actually happened before our last episode came out, but after we recorded our last episode, they beat Brazil. They won all three of their games. USA, USA, She Believes Cup. A good primer for the Women's World Cup this summer. Uh, speaking of U.S. soccer, the U.S. boys U-17 team qualified for the U-17 World Cup. I don't know what's so funny, Sheena. She's laughing at the way I'm saying these things. They're called the boys. They're not men yet because they're under 17. Is that what just, you were laughing about? <laughs> just the way you said boys really got me for some reason. The inflection in my voice there. Well, we were recording last week while they were playing Guatemala. They ended up winning that game 5-3. to three. It was a wild game. I was getting very nervous at the end that they were going to blow it. If they did not win that, they were not going to qualify for the World Cup. They went on after that to play two more times. There was like a one-day break between the semifinals and the finals. They beat Canada 
in the semifinals, and then they lost to Mexico 3-1 to in the finals. But it doesn't matter. They're all three of those teams are going to the U-17 World Cup, and whoever Mexico beat. Apologies, I don't remember. <laughs> Always good, accurate information here for me. No more U.S. soccer until the Nations League. Uh, the men will be in action. Not the boys, the men, Sheena, will be in action on March 24th. Uh, the Nations League, Group A, uh, they're going to be playing Granada and El Salvador. Any U.S. soccer thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot going on in U.S. soccer right now. Um, So good job on um, winning the She Believes Cup for the women's team. And hopefully the the boys, the U-17ers, they will... I don't know. That got me. You 17ers? <laughs> what happened? I don't know. I don't know. Oh I'm a loopy tonight, but luckily yeah, almost nobody listens well. an hour, <laughs> like an hour to the podcast. Like clearly no one's going to still be listening. That's fine. <laughs> all right. few more things in the crawl here. If you all are familiar, Caw Valley FC, they play in Lawrence, Kansas. They play in the fourth division of U.S. soccer, the USL League 2 looks like they have folded as a team. The news came out that they were not listed as the teams that are going to be playing in this summer's season. Uh, I got an anonymous source tipping me off that it looks like they folded. I can't get in touch with anybody at the team to get confirmation, maybe because the team doesn't exist anymore. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to be a second source, let us know. But it sounds like Cobb Valley is gone. Kind of sad. They shared a stadium with Sporting Kansas City, too. They played a little over half their season out at Rock Chalk Park at KU's soccer stadium. And uh, I don't know if that means they'll play their whole season there. They're going to play at Swope. I haven't heard where Sporting KC2 are playing this year, so hopefully we know that soon. A couple other little bits. A former Sporting Kansas City man, Uri Roselle, signed this week with the LA Galaxy. I did confirm with the team, we talked about this before, how he was waived and his his salary was going to count against the salary budget for Sporting KC, and they had the option to use the their one-time buyout on him. Originally, that buyout used to have to be used during the offseason. MLS, as they're known to do, have changed their rules, and now teams just have to use their one-time buyout before the end of the secondary transfer window. I don't have those dates in front of me, but it's usually like the beginning of August, so a long time to figure out what's going to happen with that, but... Whatever the LA Galaxy play Uri, or pay Uri even, uh, will cause him to take that much off of the hit for Sporting KC salary charges. So even if they don't buy him out, not going to cost the full value LA's helping us out there. Thank you. Uh, Last bit here is around all these broadcasts for Sporting KC. Y'all know Nate Bucati used to be the voice of Sporting Kansas City. He has now landed a job with Apple and with Fox. He called that uh, Sounders Colorado Rapids game over the weekend, and he is going to call the Sporting game next week, and he's going to be in Colorado. So fun fact, Fox has a studio. You travel to the studio, apparently, to call the game somewhere remotely not at the stadium versus Apple are sending their commentators to the stadium, which I think is a win and a good thing for Apple. Nate leaving as the voice of sporting Kansas city opened the door for former blue Testament colleague of mine. Ali Trost Martin is now the lead voice of the radio broadcast. As a reminder, you will be able to hear the sporting KC home radio broadcast via Apple TV when sporting have home games. So not this weekend with Colorado, but the following weekend against LA. If you're not in the stadium, you can flip the audio over on Apple at MLS season pass. You'll be able to listen. She's going to be calling the games along with Jacob Peterson. The answer. Yeah, that's really exciting for Nate. I find it interesting that he can work for Apple and Fox. They're okay with that. I think in media, it's a little bit different, right? Like they don't need him for everything. He was like a late ad to Apple. Remember, we kind of talked about that. He got the job like after I thought they were done announcing things. But that just seems to be kind of, you're, you're like a freelance person almost to a certain extent. It seems like you're a mm-hmm. contractor versus an employee. I don't know the ins and outs. Nobody's offering me jobs. Y'all, I'll call. I'll call a game. Supporting KC2, you need me to call a game? I'm, I'm in the weeds. I'll head down to Swope Soccer Village. I was just there this weekend for a club game. Yeah, we were, and we'll be there some more. But yeah, it's exciting for Nate and exciting for Allie for getting that, I would call that a promotion for her. Um, And that's pretty big time. So it's awesome to, you know, for sporting to have a female voice calling the games. I don't think we've had that before. So 
pretty exciting for her. Yeah, I'm excited for Allie as well. She seems really awesome. We've met a few times in person and she was very delightful and, you know, comes across really well. And hopefully she's going to get that down and be really good at it. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to her too much call games. So I'm looking forward to having that option to flip it over. Although it'll be interesting when, if Nate is calling a game and Allie's calling a game, how do we decide which one to listen to? Ooh. We'll have to have a battle in the house and see. I'm sure Sheena's like, I don't care. You can just choose. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really don't. You could do a half of the game with one and half with the other. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, I don't care. All right. Well, thank you all for coming and joining us on For the Glory, Casey. If you've made it this far in the podcast, I have a very important question to you that Sheena put on Instagram, but not everybody follows Instagram, is should we do two shorter podcasts per week? As you see, we struggle to keep these under an hour. Would it be better to do a short one that has a little bit of news, maybe a little mini crawl in it where we recap a game, and then a second one later in the week when we have a better idea about the next team that they'll be playing? Maybe we'll have some injury updates a little closer to the game. Would you prefer two I'm going to say 30-ish minute podcast, but let's be real. They'll probably be like 240-minute podcast. We struggle to control ourselves, but we can try. Uh, tell us, hit us up online. Let us know at For the Glory Casey on Twitter, on Instagram. You can email us, ForTheGloryCasey at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page at For the Glory Casey. We're everywhere on the social, the social medias. Isn't that what we're saying, Sheena? The social medias? I mean, that's what I say. I don't know what everyone else says. Mm -hmm. All right. And if you are still here and you haven't done this somehow, go subscribe to this podcast. Tell anybody that you know that likes soccer in Kansas City to listen to and subscribe to For the Glory KC wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't yet, give us a five star rating and review. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been commenting on social media um, with the really nice words that you've said about the podcast. I really appreciate it. Chad has read some of them to me because I'm not on all the social medias, but it's a Duh. very sweet. It's a very sweet, and I'm totally out of my comfort zone doing this. So I appreciate that nobody has been super rude yet. I've been waiting for it because I am so casual. Yeah, I, I think people. I think us reminding people that you're casual in your fandom and you're getting a little more hardcore every week, but that that's helpful, right? You're not expected to know things. I always think I should be the one judged harder because I'm the one like spending so much time paying attention to it. And if I screw up, oh, it looks even worse because I dedicate so much time to it. But uh, special shout out to Chris Gan or maybe Gone. Sorry, Chris. Uh, he said one of my favorite podcasts. Sheena cracks me up. Always great content. That was on the Cauldron Facebook page. We got a little brave and shared it to that. Maybe we'll share it to Reddit or something this week. We got to get the word out there. We need everybody to listen. So give us those ratings. Review, follow us on social media. Follow me at PlayFor90 on Twitter. Here's Christian Leo with Write It Like You Mean It. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.